wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening. We're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you're sitting in traffic, helping you get through those tough commutes, or maybe you're working out, maybe you're one of our geeks in sneaks. We got you. We're going to be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes talking games because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be completely free and that's thanks to our sponsors this week casper and linode they made that possible bringing the show to you dlc of course the show all about games in their many forms games played on desktops laptops and consoles and also games that involve dice luck and cardboard i'm your host jeff canada which is spelled with two n's and one t and i'm joined as always by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis the guy who has got to catch them all, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Uh, real quick up top. Um, their names are Philando, Alton, Brent, Patrick, Michael, Lorne, and Michael. Seven individuals whose lives were cut short far too soon. And uh, our country and our world must be a better place and we all need to do our part to make it a better place and my heart breaks for these individuals and their families and loved ones and that's all i'm going to say on the topic yeah uh rough rough week um very very hard week if you're a fan of peace and love um but one hopes that we can grow together and and become stronger from it. Uh, it's tough to talk about leisure activities and frivolous things like video games in the face of, of a week like we had, but we're going to try. Um, but we, uh, definitely, uh, you know, feel, and, uh, I think it's an important thing to touch that base at the beginning of the show as you have done, but we will move on from that and, uh, say that we are Talking a lot about video games, there's a lot of interesting stuff to discuss, some great games we've been playing, some interesting news, and we have a great guest to do it with. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata, your downloadable Christian. This week we have a new DLC because we have a new guest. DLC stands for Direction for Launching a Career because from the Gaming Careers podcast and the thecompanybar.com, we have former QA lead at BioWare and a recruiter for the games industry, Mr. Steve Rudusky. Hey, Steve. Hey, guys. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Thanks so much. Absolutely. So um, before we dive into our usual content, I'd love to find out exactly what you do and how it relates to the game industry and, and what your function is at, at this point. All right. So uh, what I do right now, one of the my most enjoyable aspects is to do the, the Gaming Careers podcast. And really what that's for is um, I have some background in the industry, but a lot of people are like, well, how do I get involved? How do I do the thing? And, uh, you know, there's just so much that you can do. Basically, any career can be involved in the gaming industry. So uh, I have the great honor and privilege to interact with uh, gaming professionals and find out what a day in the life in a bunch of different careers associated with the gaming games industry is, um, and hear a whole lot of cool stories. Uh, and then, as far as what I do personally, I, I do a lot of freelance uh, consulting work along those lines for indie uh, devs to set up their studios um, and uh, help out with uh, project management stuff like that. Very cool. And how was your experience in QA? I know a lot of people use that as a as a first step in getting into the games industry. You certainly worked at a, a pretty 
awesome company to, to, to be a QA lead. Oh yeah. So this, that was, I, I think where the scales fell from my eyes and I kind of got uh, cued into all the, the stuff that, Oh yeah, it's it, when you're in the games industry, it's not just playing video games all day long. Like what? <laughs> and that, man, that sucks. So, you know, I, I, I started and uh, you know, the first couple of weeks were awesome. They sat me down at my, my computer, uh, awesome gear. And they said, just play the game. Uh, I'm like, but, but direction, what do you, what do you actually want me to do? No, 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 just play. Um, I'm like, Oh, well, this is exactly what I hoped it would be. Wonderful. All things good. And then after those first two weeks, uh, they say, okay, now play all the same stuff that you were doing there uh, and do it again. And now start writing stuff down that doesn't work. And then the next two weeks and then the next two weeks. And then here's your assignment. But you're not going to new content. You're doing that same content over and over and over. And you're like, oh, here's where the job kicks in. (laughs) Yeah, I want to play one level of a game a thousand times. Have we got the job for you? That's right. So first, just take to the first screen, first stage of uh, Mario 1.1 and play that for, I don't know, six weeks. Yeah, that's the job. All right. So that's what it's like to be in QA. Oof. Uh, I know a lot of people that uh, that have done that and and talk about how how rough it is and how trying it is, but it's also you know a, a very essential job. There's too, far too many games that come out broken, uh, and that's the only way to find out how to fix them is find out how they're broken. Yeah, absolutely. And that's actually one of the things that I you grow to love. You actually create little mini games and little ways to stay motivated um, to like, okay, so how many times can I go through this level in an hour and collect so many bugs? And you, you create sub games in order to keep yourself motivated. And then also, you know, the, the idea that software in any of its manifestations is um, a solid process is, is really just for the end user. Anybody that's involved in technology is like, no, it's so full of holes. You scratch the surface just a little bit and you're going to see what's what's under there so as a as a qa lead or a qa manager uh, you're going to spend a lot of time trying to balance your resources when there's not a whole lot of stuff to do uh, and so that really gives you an opportunity to reinforce the studio that you work at so uh, for example when you have downtime or a build is completely broken you can spend time updating documentation you can uh, farm out your people on your team to go and learn things in other departments and that's why QA is such a great starting place for a lot of uh, gaming professionals because there is opportunity to expand when the uh, the job calls for it very cool stuff. Uh, it's going to be interesting to have your insight into the stuff we're talking about today. I know a lot of people in the chat room right now are asking about uh, us talking about Inside, as we talked about last week. Uh, that game we will talk about in the playlist, but also Christian and I have already recorded a spoiler discussion of Inside, which will happen as bonus content at the end of this episode. So it's pretty lengthy. We think we've talked about a half an hour uh, in depth about the end, about all the big moments that we liked from that game. So uh, stay tuned for that. We also have lots of other content coming up, but right now let's start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by using our hashtag on Twitter, DLCSOTW, for story of the week. And also you can visit our subreddit. Man, our subreddit, you guys are the best. Uh, That is at 5 by 5 dlc.reddit.com. And um, I mentioned last week that a listener posted um, some free codes to games on the subreddit. More people did that this week. So if you want free games, the place to go is our subreddit, 
pretty cool of, of everybody who did that. Thank you. Really good discussions. Really great voting on the VR bumper. The 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 positions have changed. There's a Ooh. new leader in the VR bumper voting. It's pretty exciting. If you want to gamble on who you think is going to win, you can head over to ChristianSpicer.com. No, 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 no. Do not go. He's got a website. Don't go to it. Um, uh, anyway, so story of the week. Steve, as our guest, you get first pick of stories. So what would you consider to be your story of the week? Uh, my pick was Summer Games Done Quick sets another record. Um, so uh, they raised almost $1.3 million um, for um, – what was it? The uh, um, Doctors Without Borders. Doctors Without Borders. Yeah. Thanks for the help. So the what I really appreciate about that is kind of by highlighting this as an activity, it kind of brings a lot of relevance to the game uh, gaming industry and gamers. Uh, you know, I still think I suffer. Maybe it doesn't exist anymore, but I suffer from gamer small syndrome where, you know, I'm sorry and I'm very apologetic about being in the industry. Um, but I really love seeing how we can affect the world in a very, very positive way. So that was my pick. I agree, especially in a week, as we referenced earlier, that has been so dark and full of terrors. <laughs> uh, this is a bright spot that I, I love that we're highlighting right at the top of the show. Um, they beat their own record. Uh, they bested their own mark that they set last year. Um, there were, uh, what, 177 speed runs done over the marathon which is pretty amazing to think that many people are that good at video games. Uh, some really, really fun things to watch. Some competitive uh, Mario Maker runs where people are racing against each other. I spent, I don't know, about an hour watching these guys play Tetris on the Grandmaster setting together. So this is two uh, bricks of Tetris are falling at once and one person controls one and the other controls the other. So, and it's, and it's at grandmaster difficulty level. So it's at a breakneck speed. And these guys not only are able to play the game just at that level at all, play it together and cooperate and not ruin somebody else's, you know, uh, stacking with their piece. It's something crazy to behold. But there's a third guy in the room with a glowing helmet on. So it kind of changes things. <laughs> I don't understand the reference. Yeah, you do. I do? Mm-hmm. Okay. Don't worry about it. I missed it. Um, I, I guess I'm slow on the uptake on that one. Uh, but Those yeah, special great. silent moments. Great, great, <laughs> great, uh, great, great event and um, a real positive part of the game industry. I, I agree with you, Steve. The fact that games can be associated with this kind of activity rather than it feeling like a waste of time to a lot of people I think is, is great. Christian, you have any thoughts? No, I mean, it, it's incredible where every year I feel like it's it's the theme now where they keep breaking their own records or I, I mean, it's I almost look forward to the year when they can't anymore because it's we've raised 10 billion dollars. We are never we are never going to top this. And it just seemed there hasn't been a scandal to really come out of it yet, which I think is awesome. Like a lot of times you hear about these great acts and then it's, you know, they actually never donated the money. And look at this, you know, you see one of the people driving a Ferrari or something and you're just like, oh, no. Um, but it just seems like great group of people coming together for a great cause and um, putting gaming in a positive light, much in the same way that um, the Penny Arcade charity um, Child's Play did and does before. And it's awesome to see different examples of, of gaming giving back to the community. Absolutely. 
Christian, how about you? You got a story of the week for us? Well, I haven't really been listening. I've been catching Pokemon. So I would say that my story of the week has to be um, summer games done quick. They beat their (laughs) own record. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You guys... Nintendo's back. They never went anywhere. Where did they go? They went I don't to know mobile. Where they, went. they went to they went, they went to your phone. They they went to your, well. They went to the real world. Um, Jigglosaurs and Scooby Butts and Skiggly Doos are everywhere. Yeah, that's where you come for the expert knowledge. Is the DLC podcast? <laughs> I Skiggly Doos so, and your. <laughs> I I um. It's easy to blame age. I'm 35, and I feel like I just missed Pokemon taking over my life. Um, when those games first came out, for whatever reason, I, I missed it. I've played a few. I think I talked about it on, on Weekend Confirmed with Ozzy, who, you know, was definitely bit by the bug. And for whatever reason, I kind of just missed it. I downloaded Pokemon Go and fired it up and was like, here we go. Say goodbye to the real world. And then I was like, ah, I kind of don't want to do this. But that does not diminish anything about the story or it's Nintendo stock is up 8 million percent. I think it's 20 to 30 percent. The game is a phenomenon. I see people of all ages. This is in Los Angeles where one, as the hit pop, pop punk or just punk song declared decades ago, nobody walks in L.A. There are people walking in L.A., congregating together, all looking at their phones, battling it out, friendly battling it out, collecting Pokemon. I, I've seen... Young girls, old men, I think the oldest person I saw looked to be about 55, and it was at Shop House in West Hollywood playing Pokemon Go. This thing is a force to be reckoned with. Cell phone batteries around the world are buckling under the weight. <laughs> You're not wrong, man. It's the it's the, the Pokemification of, of everything. The Pokemification of the Pokemification of the Yeah, the, the squiggly butts or whatever you call them. <laughs> That just happened. It's, Steve, are you playing Pokemon Go? I am not playing Pokemon Go, and I'm, I'm watching it in, in a little bit of terror that, that it, how, how much it's taking over. So somehow, on a video game podcast, I managed <laughs> to get the three guys who are not playing Pokemon Go on the planet. Well, <sighs> to be fair, Jeff, you, you texted me, hey, one of us needs to play Pokemon Go. And I said, I downloaded it tried it and deleted it. So guess what, buddy? You were aware me. that someone needed to play it I, and it was on I, you. So I, I downloaded it. I went, I went, had a big weekend of activities, uh, which meant I was out in the world. I went to see a... Uh, a yeah, you should be playing. You're telling me that you I were did. doing all I'm, of the I'm things. I'm about to tell you I did. <laughs> okay, great. I went to a, a Billy Joel cover band concert uh, with the, the Pasadena Pops. What was the name of the, what was his cover band name? Oh, I don't even remember. Uh, he, he was just his name. He was the guy who starred in the Billy Joel Broadway musical, and he like tours around the country singing. Oh, cool! It was great, and he played with this, the, the Pasadena Pops in this big outdoor amphitheater where you sit on a lawn and bring uh, bring uh, your picnic. And uh, I went with my in laws and my wife, and they're sitting there, and I'm wandering around capturing Pokemon. At the, <laughs> instead of enjoying a lovely time with my family, I'm like, there's a there's a station over at the at the at the fountain that where I can get more pokeballs and oh my god I think there's a pokemon around where these people are sitting excuse me ma'am uh, just real quick I'm just going to hold my phone up I'm not taking a picture of you I'm just capturing it no just you can stay seated it's cool I don't need to, I'm just going to be here for one second real quick second okay got what I need uh, bye um that was my weekend um I think this game so here's my question to you guys. As people who are not playing it, we are going to <laughs> give our opinions. 
Do you guys think this is Mitomo uh, all over again, where everybody is super excited about it for a week and then nobody's playing it? Or do you think this is a sea change into AR games and this sort of new kind of experience that's out in the world playing video games uh, and wandering around the actual real world? Steve. I think it's more the latter. So once we start getting some of the technology that crosses over into basically our onboard tricorders, which is our, our now our phones, right? So we have all of this technology. We have, you know, it, we the GeoSat knowing exactly where we are at any given time. Like it really lends itself to a more interactive gaming style thing. And once you layer on a, a Pokemon IP onto it, uh, targeting the generation that was very likely to be growing up with this technology, man, I, I think it could be... Uh, one of the game changers or at least one of the prototypes of the next thing to come. It certainly shows the power of the IP. That is for sure. Uh, because this comes out with any other thing because there are plenty of games out that are this already that don't have that IP that nobody's talking about. Uh, Christian, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with Steve there at the end. I mean, I think it is not necessarily either of the options you presented. I think it is Pokemon. And this is to some extent, the first new take on Pokemon in decades and not that it's totally new you know it's still kind of Pokemon but it's a franch a beloved franchise that people grew up with that now are also addicted to and I don't mean that term I should use something else because uh, I also am tethered to my smartphone right but that have this device with them at all times that love this thing that maybe drifted away from traditional gaming maybe didn't but now they're able to play this thing all the time I think that this thing has a lot greater chance of staying around longer than Mitomo did because of the IP connection. And I'm curious to see how Nintendo, how their monetization has, is working for it. I know that it, you know, at least initially it was top of the paid charts on iTunes. Um, but I'm curious to see how they roll out new Pokemon. I think there is a very, very good chance that this game has some serious staying power. Um, I don't think it is Minecraft, but you know, what is, and I, I don't think anyone expects this to be that, uh, but I think it's going to be a big hit. And I think you're going to see Nintendo iterate on it with other popular franchises, you know, coming into this world. And I'm curious to see what this means for the NX. If it truly is that yeah. you get to take it with you anywhere console, like, am I going to be able to play, you know, do this Pokemon go on my NX, but then also have a, a proper, um, you know, Pokemon game on it as well. And like that combines the two, Crazy. Well, that's the that's the interesting point, right? Is that if this game had somehow magically had the same exact functionality but been on DS, it's not this. Right. The fact that this is on anybody's phone and it's free to play is the game changer, right? It's the it's the it's the place that Nintendo has never been before. Um, here's a bit uh, from CNBC that uh, is interesting to me. It says, one analyst told CNBC that in order for Nintendo to really reap the benefits of the free-to-play game's extraordinary success, there had to be a turnover rate of $140 to $160 million a month. The analyst added that the estimated daily turnover following Pokemon Go's first day of release was $3.9 to $4.9 million. And in order for Nintendo to see the increase it needed, the game would have to remain at the top of the App Store on both iOS and Android marketplaces. That seems like an extraordinary number to hit. Um, Go ahead. That's like a Debbie Downer, right? I don't don't, don't understand. Uh, I think, you know, we saw Nintendo's stock price skyrocket after the release. I think this is only positive right now for Nintendo and, and for this game. 
I also think it speaks to <laughs> the fact that we like doing stuff together as a people. Like, we're all doing it. It's the we're all doing this thing where more people – it's a snowball effect of, hey, people like doing stuff together. They like going out into the world. There's this wonderful communal aspect. There's been a pop culture uh, acceptance of of this. As you said, I, you know, I was – I had dinner out, out – uh, in the world uh, the other last night and we sat outside because it was such a lovely evening and there were groups of young people walking around with their phones and I kept pointing out to my wife like they're playing Pokemon Go they're all looking for Pokemon there must be something good around here I gotta I gotta go um, but uh, this whole like we're doing something together aspect of it the out in the world aspect of it all that stuff feels fresh and feels new and feels interesting but it's also I think a positive force um so I, I'm I'm really bullish on this whole this whole this game and this whole concept. I think it's it's going to lead to more acceptance of these kinds of experiences. And as the technology improves, and we get, as Steve pointed out, our, our tricorders or our AR devices, <laughs> you know, our, our Hololens type experiences that are untethered and and can we can just wander around. Uh, I think more stuff like this is going to be commonplace. And I think it also helps break the myth that. And it's a shame that it keeps it, it still needs to be broken. But the idea of the basement gamer, like, oh, you play games, you must be a nerd in your mom's basement. And when you see, you know, when I saw what appeared to be a fifty to sixty year old man playing Pokemon Go along with, you know, like a eight year old girl playing it, and everyone in between, it's like, oh no, no, everyone can play games, everyone can like Pokemon. I know we've seen, of course, popular cell phone games before Flappy Bird, whatever. Um, but it's, it's just cool to see it again and see it out in public in daylight. With people that aren't the 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 South Park World of Warcraft player, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and we we've already seen you know I guess some the nefarious types taking advantage of it, uh, sticking people up, uh, but using Pokemon as a way to lure people into bad areas. We've seen uh, employers post signs saying no, you know, playing Pokemon Go on the clock. Do not come into our store if you're trying to get a Pokemon. I mean, it's. It really feels like it's this cultural moment uh, that's one item minimum per Pokemon captured in store. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'm sure we'll be talking about it a lot more. Hopefully, Christian will reinstall and we can. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's that's first world problems right there. When to go to work, you have to do the research by playing Pokemon Go. Right. Oh, gosh. Darn <laughs> Steve, who invited? Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> oh, that. Oh, darn it. Shut up, man. <laughs> Those silent moments that we enjoy on podcasts. We got to get Nicole Zivilich back on the show, Christian, because she I mean, she's a, our Pokemon resident Pokemon fanatic. Yes. So we got to get yes. her back and you know, she'll, she'll school us. Um, my story of the week is uh, the game evolve from turtle rock studios, which had a very, it felt like a very flash in the pan kind of, uh, you know, it was released. There's a lot of hubbub and then it quickly died off and we've used evolve as sort of the poster child for a, online community not catching on and and these these games that come and go quickly well this week they did not give up on their game turtle rock studios actually re-released the game uh put it back into beta they're calling it stage two evolve stage two and they re-released it as a free-to-play game on windows so on steam it jumped back up into the top 20 uh, people seem to be giving this game a, a second chance, and it's completely redefining itself with a new new business model. Uh, we've seen that a lot before from MMOs. You know, uh, the, the old joke now is 
when the MMO launches as a you know monthly fee MMO, what's the countdown to how long it'll be until it's free to play? Um, but we really haven't seen that with games like Evolve that are first-person shooter, multiplayer, uh, console games. Now, this hasn't happened on the consoles yet. It's still as it was on the console. But the PC version, the Steam version, uh, is now free to play. And it looks like people are embracing it again, or at least giving it a second chance. I think this is really cool, and it shows um, the the malleability of the gaming market right now and how things, I think, can become something different. Can evolve. Uh, Ooh, for lack of a nice. I see what you did there. See what I did because the name of the – yeah. Uh, Steve, uh, what, <laughs> so what's, your, what's your take on this? I'm fairly excited about this change. So the, um, you know, when I was working on Star Wars, the old Republic, that was the game I was working on as a QA lead. Uh, we launched with the, the monthly subscription and it, uh, <clears throat> well, in, in all deference to the company, it didn't do as well. I'll just, I'll say it lightly. And then it was, it re-released as a, as a free, free to play model and then really, really took off and started really supporting the, the, uh, the franchise. So, uh, in, with Evolve, I, I kind of see this where the entire trend is going. We, we have just such great content that's available for free. And really, the, the, um, it's, it's the true fanatics of the game that end up spending the most out of uh, for your game anyway. And so you have to get that following first. And so I think companies are starting to realize that, oh, we can produce AAA level content, uh, get it out there, get the the users interacting with the site, and then there's just tons of different ways to monetize from there, um, and and really create that strong following because they're already hooked. So I like it. Yeah, I agree, Christian. What do you think? I think unfortunately for Evolve, they're stuck with a little bit of stank um, on people not liking the game. It doesn't surprise me that people on Steam are downloading it to check it out. I have a number of friends on on pc that kind of download anything that's free <laughs> on on steam because they have like a four terabyte drive or whatever and they'll check it out eventually um i know people that download everything that is just on sale <laughs> um I, I don't think that this will save evolve unfortunately i think much like the xbox one while it's a great console a lot of great games on it it launched and came out and just people had negative ideas of it in their head and i think that that will carry with evolve and especially relaunching now in a marketplace that has Overwatch, which I know isn't free to play, but you know games like Overwatch, um, Quake coming back, Lawbreakers launching soon, Team Fortress Two still being a thing, Counter Strike Go still very much a thing. I think that there are so many juggernauts in the PC first person shooting space. Even though Evolve is you know somewhat unique in its um, approach to it, the four v one, I I don't think that we will be talking about this you know, four months from now about a thing with staying power. Wow. You think it's a momentary blip that they're kind of be- becoming, uh, you know, back into the conversation only slightly. And then the same problems that plagued it before will plague it again. Yeah. I, I, I don't think it has this, the, the gameplay and the staying power to keep people hooked, unfortunately. Well, interesting. I, you know, did you have something to say, Steve? Well, I just had a thought there is, and I think that's kind of what's important in the industry right now is that with um, the 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 user experience and the gameplay, that really is what is becoming the the main uh, competition factor. How do you differentiate yourself in the market? And so um, it really needs to. I, I guess my my uh, um, 
uh, crystal ball is that things will move towards free and then that will really be the competitive aspect and it will just we will just assume that the best graphics the best user experience you know all of that sort of stuff is included and then it'll come down to how does that gameplay work out I think uh, Stats1 brings up a good point in the chat room. He says, you don't need to sell 10 million copies to make a lot of money. Just get 100,000 users that pay a bunch. So and I think that's what we're proving, as you said, with uh, you know Star Trek Online and a lot of these, um, these uh, free-to-play MMOs that you hear about. You go, but that's still going strong? Yeah, it's because they have a very small but very dedicated group of people that subsidize the game uh and and are willing to you know invest their money into create keep creating keep keep buying little bits and bobs in the game to uh to make it worthwhile and a very small audience can keep something going for a long time yeah and on on the star trek front i know i'm I'm, uh friends with a lot of developers in my area and they're big fans of that game and they many of them have spent many thousands of dollars um in this and so you would never get the a normal end end line consumer to spend that much um but if you have somebody with disposable income that wants the absolute best ships at tier 70 74 you know okay go for it man i think it's cool i think that's a neat a neat thing because in a different kind of uh, marketplace, those things would just go away. And the fact that we've come to this place now where it's a much broader, wider swath of things that can survive, I'm all for it. I think that's cool. Uh, all right. Um, a few other uh, news bits, but uh, nothing too huge. So I say let's get to talking about the games we have been playing. But first, do you want to thank our sponsor, Casper? Uh, if... Uh, if you're having a hard time sleeping or maybe you just haven't upgraded your mattress in a long time, this is the way to do it. I got to tell you, I spent so long on the same mattress I went to college on and I just thought, oh, you, you buy a mattress once and you're done. And then I would have all these aches and pains when I woke up. I wouldn't sleep well. And I never put the put the freaking equation together to realize that's what the problem was. I got a new mattress I'm sleeping so much better and Casper is the place to get them because it eliminates all of the annoyances with buying a mattress. Usually if you buy a mattress, you go to a mattress store, it's super annoying. There's, you know, these people that bother you and ask you if they can help you. You don't know what you want. You lay down on a mattress for, you know, 30 seconds and you go, oh, this feels fine. You, you take it home. You, you may not like it. You pay thousands of dollars for it. It's a terrible experience. Cap, cap, Casper solves all of that. They have super high quality mattresses. The cost is much, much less because they cut out the middleman. They don't have to have that big warehouse to house all those uh, mattresses and pay those annoying salespeople. Uh, They can have a much less expensive mattress that's the same high quality and it's much more convenient. You buy a Casper mattress, they send it to you, send it right to your house, risk-free. It's super easy and you can sleep on it for 100 nights. So you can try it out. You can decide whether you like it or not. If you end up not liking it, they come to your house, they pick it up, they take it away, you get your money back. It's easy, but you can try it for 100 nights. That's risk-free. It's awesome. These are obsessively engineered mattresses. The price is very, very low, uh, and and you have really no risk. And guess what? We're going to give you $50 off your purchase of a mattress. All you got to do is go to casper.com slash DLC, put in the promo code DLC at checkout. They'll give you 50 bucks. It's pretty easy. 
C-A-S-P-E-R.com slash DLC. Use that promo code DLC. Get yourself 50 bucks. Upgrade your sleep. Rest easy. You know, long night of video gaming. You're going to want to rest easy. Rest easy on a Casper mattress. Save 50 bucks. Upgrade your sleep. Casper.com slash DLC. Promo code DLC. All right, Christian. Let's do it. Let's rock into the playlist. Ooh, Steve, uh, what has been on your playlist lately? All right. So playlists. Uh, so what I'm working on right now, I, I'll make a brief reference to a, a previous show that you guys were talking about, uh, where it had uh, you were you're talking about you know what the optimism in the market of you know that that there's so much opportunity out there if you play slightly older games. Well, I fit into that category. So I've been playing slightly older games for a couple of reasons. Um, so Ori in the Blind Forest is what I've been going through, and uh, Machinarium is is where I am right now. I really like very slow paced games. I um, that uh, create a big mood or flavor. And uh, so one of the reasons I'm doing that is uh, my wife just left for a month. Uh, she's going to go and be doing a singing gig for uh, a while in Santa Fe. And so Ori starts off with just, just a nice, really somber mood. Very, very um, uh, sad. He cry a little bit at the beginning. Oh, Schmerz mein Herz. So I, I'm playing that. Um, and uh, then just a couple of days ago, I uh, Inside came on my uh, radar. And I, a couple of friends said, you absolutely have to play this. So that is on my up and coming. So uh, I know Christian is a huge fan of Ori in the Blind Forest. Um, and I actually will be talking about that a little bit because I've been playing Song of the Deep. And uh, you can't really play those two games and not compare them. Very similar experiences. Um but uh yeah Ori is great. Are you have you are, do you enjoy the the difficulty of that game because it is it is a challenging platformer. Yes, I do. Uh so it's really hard um I guess this is the quote unquote adult gamer. So I'm I'm thinking of original Metroid, right? Uh and so that is my type of game and it wasn't the um the shooting that I was that interested in, it was the exploring the world, the entire world created a particular feel and mood. Um, and it was very creepy all the way throughout. Ori has a different flavor, but it's, um, very, um, sad all the way throughout. And then it just really turns, uh, the, all of the, uh, thousands of hours that I've put towards, uh, controller platforming, uh, to, to use and makes me feel like I've validated my youth. Yeah. Christian, you want to weigh in on this one? I mean, it, it it remains, I think, one of the most beautiful and amazing experiences this console generation. I, I don't know if it's still up, but over the last week, there was a deal on the Microsoft store where it was like the one terabyte Xbox One spring bundle, which I think was Halo 5, Gears of War, Ultimate, Ori in the Blind Forest, Rare Replay, plus a $50 gift card, plus a $20 gift card, plus an extra controller. And I was like... Ooh, if you you know aren't waiting for Scorpio and willing to dive in, that bundle was very attractive. Ori in the Blind Forest, I know it's on PC, and I think they're coming out with the retail version, the Ultimate Edition, or whatever it's called. It's incredible if you overlooked it for any reason, and you know you're sitting around this summer and don't know what to play. Um, I highly recommend it. It is. I, it, it's weird that you need to like, or I guess 
wonderful that we need to describe different types of difficulty. It is not Dark Souls difficult. It is, and it's not quite bullet hell difficult. It's somewhere in between. It definitely requires precision. It's more Mega Man difficult, if that makes sense. If if, if you are have played yep. any of those style of games, it requires precision, but the game is also precise and the controls play well. The Xbox one controller works wonderfully for it. It doesn't, um, when you miss or mess up, you're like, I, I messed up. That was on me. And I, I, yeah, I can't, I continue to recommend the game to this day. Will you ever go back to it, Jeff? Or was it a little too, uh, finger punishing for, I think you got what to the, the tree volcano. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I really enjoyed it from a, um, aesthetic sense and it's such a beautiful game and so uh evocative but uh, yeah i don't know it, it, that's that kind of platforming uh, you know back in the the totally rad show days dan trackenberg would always uh talk at length about n plus and how much he loved mm-hmm. that game and and tried to you know get me to play it and we reviewed it and th- those games are just they're just that's not my kind of fun they like beat my head against the wall trying to get that platforming i'll do it in a a mario game i'll do it in in games where you know it's not trying to uh beat me down (laughs) i don't know (laughs) thing to say it's not trying to beat me down but those games really are just honing you and honing you and honing you and that's just not a skill set that i enjoy improving you know i enjoy improving my skill set playing heroes of the storm i enjoy you know trying to be a better first person shooter player I don't enjoy trying to get the right Mega Man jump. Uh, I don't know why. I, I enjoy going through those games and experiencing them. They're fun. Uh, I, but I, lo- I much prefer the Nintendo approach of, you know, if you want to try for that really hard star, go for it. But you can get through not going for it and just sort of enjoy the game on a much more casual level. That's so fascinating to me because that's I have the exact opposite sort of experience on that because like, uh, what is it? Bartle's taxon- taxonomy of player types. Are you all familiar with this, sure. of course? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the I'm I'm definitely an explorer. Right. But I also pride myself on a high level of Twitch capacity, but not when it's first person shooters. It just drives me crazy. I just feel like such a failure at life. But, you know, these these really tough platformers, this and uh, Super Meat Boy, um, for example, it's uh, it becomes a dance to get through it. And then it's one of those things that I like to watch other people do it because I know those levels and I want to see speed runs of that type of thing. And and so I've explored the entire area I've, I've exhausted it but then i also know the just the raw amount of uh physical dexterity required in order to make that happen and that's what makes it click for me it's cool i wish i was more like that uh, I dig <laughs> it. and i would say if you're hesitant you know give it a shot i would say that ori isn't quite super meat boy or n plus it, it is not it is not that punishing there are a few arbitrary difficulty spikes that i feel like come out of nowhere but i think the game does a pretty good job of introducing you to new mechanics and layering them in in a way that uh, another game inside does with its puzzles this does with just platforming techniques and how you combine powers in a, in a really graceful and artful way I think that leads right into a discussion of Song of the Deep because I constantly was thinking about Ori in the Blind Forest while playing Song of the Deep. Song of the Deep, of course, is the new Insomniac game, although we keep saying new Insomniac game like every other week at this point. <laughs> They're just cranking them out. Uh, this is a very different kind of game for Insomniac. This is a 2D uh, Metroidvania-style game 
where you are playing a, as a little girl, Marin, whose father disappears in, in the water. And so she crafts herself a little submarine and goes out looking for him. And it's, uh, it's, the whole world is infused with this Irish folklore aesthetic where these, these old Irish, um, gods and and fairy tale story creatures are are just below the surface of the water and and you you know it's very metroidvania you 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 upgrade your little submarine with new abilities which let you go into previously unexplored areas you're dealing with enemies you are uh, solving little puzzles um and it it is absolutely gorgeous this game is so pretty my goodness that undersea world is just vibrant and bright, whereas Ori in the Blind Forest is beautiful in a in a sort of a painterly, um, animated, um, you know, Don Bluth kind of world, or like Secret of Nim almost. This is much more a storybook and much more much brighter, more vibrant. That undersea world is full of bioluminescence and tons of animation everywhere. Everything is in motion and there's layers of, of sort of um, watercolor painting behind you and crisp things in the foreground. And it is absolutely beautiful. It, it, the music is great. The aesthetics of the game are worth the price of admission already. I mean, it, it just makes you feel good to be in this world and to explore the underwater. The only bummer about the game is that in the very Metroidvania template, it has a lot of emphasis on combat. It has a lot of emphasis on enemies. And I find that to be the least interesting part of this game. And, and mostly it's because, I will speak for myself, but I, I suspect that you guys will share this sentiment, the least fun part of any Mario game is the underwater levels. <laughs> and this game yes. is all Super Mario underwater levels. Like the entire game has that floaty underwater control, and and that makes sense, right? You're in a submarine. You're it's supposed to be underwater. It it, it completely makes sense, but it makes the combat to me like just slightly more frustrating than it should be. And some of the boss battles and stuff are are pretty annoying. And whereas, you know, this whole, the whole game is about this young girl and it's like this fairy tale where it, it feels almost like a children's game. It very much plays like, uh, you know, tough, uh, unforgiving Metroidvania game. And I think that, you know, in the same way I was, I was just talking about not really loving Ori in the Blind Forest for that. I think this game would have been much more fun if it emphasized more that, exploration which it it thrives on like finding a little nooks and crannies entering a new area where it it looks like crazy underwater spider webs or you know these beautiful vast underwater caverns it is so neat to to find a new area and then unlock that new section and solve the puzzle to get into that area as an explorer gamer as you've mentioned then fighting endless waves of enemies just is kind of ruins that fun a little bit for me. Still a game I, I highly recommend. I just, um, I feel like it, it, the emphasis is in the wrong part of that formula rather than the part that I think it, it thrives under. And are you playing a review code? I am. Yes. I got a, I got a free code. Uh, so I did not pay for this one, but I, I, I think it's definitely worth the price. It's, it's a less expensive game. This is one of the, I think the very first game that has been published by that new GameStop uh, publishing arm that is called 
uh, game trust. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. I have a code for it as well. I've yet to fire it up. I wanted to get through inside so that we could, we did our spoiler chat about it, but I am seeing it on show floors. It is, I will echo your beauty sentiment where it is liking it a lot more than me because, because you enjoy that, that precision, but it's hard to be precise in an underwater level, right? It's it, it even, it, it, there's no jumping, there's no platforming per se. It's more like grab that rock and toss it at the thing or, you know, shoot out your little arm and smack the, the guy as he's coming towards you. Oh, I just kind of twisted myself around in the wrong position. Oh, that's annoying. That I, I'm, I'm a little hesitant now hearing you describe it because that was a thing that kept me from falling in love with galaxy. Right. Was that floatiness of the control where I, I know, you know, it wasn't all combat, but I feel like I got myself into some pickles sometimes. And I was like, I knew what I needed to do, but I couldn't do it. Not because I felt like my hands were doing it wrong, but because my guy would float. And then, you know, Carboni and people that love that game would say, no, 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 that's the point. You are doing it wrong. <laughs> you need to take that float into account. But I got more frustrated than not playing Galaxy. And I, I loved Galaxy. And I think maybe that game had more of that, whatever you risk is what you reward. It's like, oh, am I going to go deeper into this thing and push myself harder and try to get more scrap in this moment? Or am I just going to run to the exit? It it felt more like I was in control of the difficulty. Uh, That that game is woefully underrated. Um, I love that game. But anyway, Um, Steve, talk to me a little bit about Machinarium. That's a game from 2009, Uh, right? Point and click adventure game. Yeah, so uh, the uh, the thing that I get really in, in wrapped uh, wrapped up there is the again it's exploration it's uh, you know pretty simple point and click walk around it's a very very slow pl- slow paced game you p- play as a uh, um, little robot trying to accomplish various tasks um, but the um, art is so. Uh, I don't know. It just it has such a, a distinct flavor to it that you kind of get wrapped up in the world, and you you have no options um, but to take advantage of of seeing all of the little nooks and crannies that the artist has taken the time to put in there because you can't move around very fast. Uh, and then on top of that, there's a lot of um, simple mechanics, almost um, almost Mario esque. Whereas you can do these basic moves, you can go tall, you can go low. Um, and so when you see a new screen, you're going to look for the obvious things to click. Um, but because it's a flat 2d experience, um, you're not exactly sure where you can interact with all of these different things. And you might be able to react, uh, interact with something if you were at a different height level. So you kind of have to spend the time uh, pretending that you're in the space in a 3d environment, even though it's 2d. And then on top of that it's it's not a parallaxing effect but they have these little um um graphics that are going on so little mice are running around and whatever it kind of just brings that 2d texture out and so because it prevents you from moving around the screen pretty fast the art uh it it really pulls you in and kind of slows down your your gaming experience i I play it when i've i've gotten uh, on ori and i'm i've died in a particularly tough place and i'm really really pissed off and i've thrown my controller and i have to replace a window Uh, i jump over to that one and to to calm myself down a bit that's awesome so you keep that game outside the window (laughs) yes do it's outside i have a a in the backyard setup for uh christian uh, we as you said as we we mentioned several times we have our extended discussion about inside with spoilers but give me some non-spoiler uh response to inside because as of last week you hadn't played it uh, and i was raving about it but uh you finished it this week Correct. It, you can see my whole thing on my Twitch channel and archived also on the YouTube, which is Christian Spicer 713. Um, 
It is one of the most beautiful games I have played in recent memory. The sound design is exquisite. Play with headphones if you have a nice pair of headphones. The way the sound changes from room to room, environment to environment. Um, the, the sound effects that are happening as you're controlling your protagonist in this world. Um, just astounding. Astounding. And the, the puzzles, it is a you know puzzle platformer, are incredible in their simplicity and elegant, difficulty. Right? They're just elegant. Yes. yes, very, very well put. Yeah, they're so elegantly designed where I can't imagine designers creating these. I just picture it's a bunch of mad scientists ripping out their hair and they're like, and then we'll do the box like this. And everyone's like, huzzah. Um, I think that's pretty much how it, is, how it goes. I'm no expert. But it, I mean, Steve, that, that's how it goes, right? That is exactly how it goes. Yep. <laughs> it is. It is incredible. It is not a long game. I think I beat it in three hours and 45, three hours, 50 minutes. But the the love and care and attention put into the gameplay is phenomenal. I want to continue to play those puzzles again and again and again. Ultimately, what I viewed as the story or narrative or theme of the game, I found to be the more I talk about it, at first I would have said, eh, then I say disappointing. Now I'm going to say highly disappointing. Um, like, the more I talk about it, the more I get down on it. Um, but I I wholeheartedly recommend the game 100% just for the gameplay. And then hopefully the narrative doesn't bother you the way it bothered me. And we talk about it at length at the end of this episode. <laughs> I challenged Christian on that uh, quite a lot. So uh, stay tuned for that if you've played it inside. Um, because uh, it, it requires specifics of, from the game in order to discuss that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Riders of Icarus. It's a new MMO that launched this week. It's free to play. Uh, and, uh, you know, guys, if you listen to the show, you know I love me my MMOs. I have a group of buddies, and we all sort of play the next MMO that comes out, especially if they're free. We'll always give them a shot. <laughs> um, this is a uh, Korean MMO that plays a lot like a lot of Korean MMOs. Uh, the, the hook here, it's called Riders of Icarus, and the hook is, you know how you like mounts in MMOs? You like uh, getting yourself a mount? Uh, this game's all about getting mounts. This is sort of almost a little Pokemon-esque, a uh, little um, Monster Hunter-esque. It's all, all about collecting mounts. That's a major part of the game. You're doing quests, you're running around, you're upgrading your character and getting new gear and all the things you do in MMOs, but alongside that, almost any creature that you come across that is uh, that looks like you can get on the back of it, you can get on the back of it. And uh, there's a, a mechanic in the game, a little mini game in the game, that lets you um, sneak up on creatures and leap onto their backs and try to tame them, try to stay on like a bronking, uh, bucking bronco bull. Uh, and, uh, if you manage to stay on in this little mini game where you have to press the directions as they come up on the, you know, t- um, prompted on the screen, uh, if you manage to do that, you can, uh, tame these creatures and then collect them in a mass pantheon of, of mounts. Now I'm one of those people when I play MMOs or heroes of the storm or whatever, anything that has a friggin' mount, I'm usually trying to get them all. So you think I would like Pokemon, um, but it's fun. It's you fun. You can't ride your Pokemon. You can't ride your Pokemon. Why not? I want Pokemon. <laughs> go ahead and jump on my back. That's what I want. <laughs> a ride is a yeah. Ride is a. There you go. Um, 
Anyway, I'm, I, I just – I love like, oh my god, that guy's riding around on a kangaroo-looking thing. I want a kangaroo-looking thing. No, no. That guy has like a stegosaurus-looking thing. I want a stegosaurus-looking thing. Um, are there stat bumps or is it purely aesthetic? Uh, there are some stat bumps. They, there's, they have a stamina bar where uh, that will run out. So that, and you level them up. You actually level up mounts in this game by riding them more. So uh, you're constantly like juggling all the different mounts that you want to level them all up. And they look cool. And there's like super rare mounts and there's named mounts. And you can, you know, tame the named and it looks a little bit different than the regular version. And I mean, it's got all those hooks that really just push all of my buttons perfectly. Is it playing regulators mount up in, on loop yeah, in the background? Should be. Um, kids ask your parents. So what do you do? So you're on a mount. What do you do? Well, you can fight from the mount. There's like mount specific weapons. Like you can get crossbows and stuff and you can fight from a mount, which is pretty rare in video games. There's flying mounts like 45 seconds in this game, you jump on a flying mount. This game is like, you're going to be mount mounts, dude. You don't mount. <laughs> What's the pay structure? Are you buying mounts? Um, there is. Have you spent money on mounts? No. Jeff, no. is your is baby Kylo in danger? No. No. <laughs> um, the problem with this game, and the reason that I probably won't be spending money on mounts, uh, my group of, my MMO group was like, nope, pass. After we, we what? for a full day. And they were like, nope, moving on. Um, it is... Everything other than the mount mechanic is very conventional. I mean, cookie cutter. It is an MMO template. Wow. Any other Korean MMO. It does have, an, I think, an interesting combat system. It tries to sort of be both things, right? There's, there are action combat MMOs like Terra. And then there are your traditional sort of World of Warcraft-esque, you know, tab targeting MMOs where you're just, you know, hitting your, you know, you're looking at your cooldowns and hitting your, your uh, action keys, but you're, you know, locked onto a target and there's not, re- you're not really playing an action game. This game is trying to do both of those things. So depending on which class you play, it, it recommends a different play style. And uh, the ca- class that I leveled up was Berserker and it was very much that action combat. So you, you do combos, you, you know, one skill feeds into another and buffs another if you do them in the right order. And there's fun, you know, you, you target something with a reticule and you have to jump out of the way of things and dan- dance around. Cool. But then if you play like a wizard or something, you can do the tab target thing where you're standing in the back and you're just sort of cycling through your progression and doing your MMOE stuff. I thought that was kind of interesting, but it's not doing – it's not reinventing the wheel. It's just doing all that – I mean the quests are, you know, go collect 10 wolf pelts, you know, feed six sick people. It is very conventional. The It's an Unreal Engine game. It looks fine. It's not going to wow anybody. It's not going to blow any doors off graphically. The It's very Korean in the sense that – the Korean MMOs tend to be the ones where if you pick a female uh, as your character, you're not going to be wearing very much clothes. It's it's you know it's big. but you just collected five pelts. I know, right? You'd think you'd put them on, but no, she's only interested in wearing a bikini. And when you get the sweet armor bikini, which supposedly is going to protect you in a fight, I don't know. Um, it, you know, it, it is very well. It's hard to, for you to judge these women, Jeff, as you're sitting there doing this episode in underwear. I'm assuming, or whatever you're wearing. <laughs> but I'm not seeing a sword that you know of. Um, uh, anyway, oh, it, it, I wish la, 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 la. It, I had more. Uh, to, you know, it, it feels it's weird. It feels like 
they can only introduce one new thing. It's like, okay, we'll make an MMO and then we add one new thing, you know? It's like, well, no, just maybe rethink the whole base of the game a little more. Yeah, Blizzard did and then they scrapped it and released a first-person shooter. I mean, it's like it's that type of thing where I think – and Steve, I'm curious to get your insight on it that this is possible, especially – you know, I'm not asking you to divulge secrets or anything that you you can't talk about from Bioware. Um, But – like as an outsider, it seems easy to do to some extent. Like, well, how has no one made the next big MMO? But clearly it must be one of the hardest things to do because no one is doing it. Even the people that should be able to do it, even with a Star Wars, a Star Trek coming from Blizzard. It, I mean, is it insurmountable? I kind of think it is because everybody, you know, when when we're on the inside and we're talking about uh, whatever the new IP is that we're not supposed to be talking to in violation of our NDAs and all of that kind of stuff, um, it's it's uh, it's almost insurmountable because it's all inclusive. So when you're creating a, an MMO experience, especially when we're using WoW as the base, it it is expanded into like every aspect of culture almost. And so we expect so much. Um, And so the technical debt of starting something like that from scratch is huge. So the reason why WoW is so successful is they were able to iterate over such a long period of time. Um, When uh, Star Wars The Old Republic came out, they were trying to kind of recreate a whole lot of that experience. But, you know, these these are secret recipes, right? These studios aren't sharing how they went through all of that different stuff. You know, maybe if we get to a place um, and this uh, might have something to do with VR, uh, alternate uh, reality or augmented reality ra- rather, that the platform is has all of the basic features. It has an auction house. It has a basic uh, whatever system. And then you can theme it with whatever IP you want. Um, if if somebody created that kind of like um, a, a games engine, um, that might allow some some diversification to now that allow that to happen. So I think it's a really tough, tough build to fill to try to have the wow killer. Uh, yeah, I mean, and and is it's going to be interesting to see how well the next WoW expansion comes, uh, which is coming out in a month, uh, how well that does because it feels like the WoW killer is time. <laughs> you know, it feels <laughs> like MMOs right now. I, it gets us all. They're a, they're a waning genre a, a bit, and I think that MOBAs have sort of taken over that space and uh, free to play first person shooter competitive. The the games that people play as a habit have become less the MMO games and more these competitive scene games. Um, you know, I, and I, and because we still- I kind of see the same, sorry, no, go please. ahead. So I kind of see that as well. Um, but what I see happening is like, for, for example, I have, I'm an altaholic on wow. Uh, once upon a time, 80, uh, so 20 or 30 level 80 characters or whatever. Um, and so it becomes more of an experience of wanting to, again, for me, I'm the ex- on the explorer side, but I don't think the next expansion to WoW or expansion to um, a- an MMO is really the thing. Um, I think it, it starts to crack into the... Um, uh, second life alternate you know, virtual worlds type thing where really you're there to do an online thing that has activities um, but it facilitates a whole bunch of other stuff I mean even died in the wool people that uh, just still love wow that I'm familiar with are uh, still mainly facilitating their social groups through it and do a variety of other things that have nothing to do with rating or, or grinding that's exactly what I was talking about with Pokemon go it's fun to do stuff together let's all do stuff right. we're all doing this right. thing let's all do this thing um, I 
And why WoW is one of those places that uh, is really hard to have the WoW killer is just it has all of that infrastructure, that technology associated with it, and the player base. It's a place to go for the people, Where whereas somebody trying to break into the market uh, with a new MMO is trying to create that from scratch and create that sense of environment. I know that, uh, and this is not a trade secret, so I can talk about it a little bit, but Star Wars The Old Republic launched, had a big spike, uh, and then had a big crash immediately after it, um, or shortly thereafter, and you know the user experience while you're playing is you're you're exploring these vast landscapes in an IP that you're just so passionate about and it's it's a barren wasteland of no players yeah. right and so then the studio has to go and uh, you know collect the the servers and kind of force players to interact so it feels like some place that you want to be are you telling me though that you're not excited about legion cuz i'm so excited about legion i'm a little worried that my child is going to be here right when legion arrives and i'm going to be able to play it so well, excited has a you know some some connotation around it. I have a successful marriage, uh, and that I've, <laughs> I've had some challenges with that. So we we have a family policy around my relationship with with WoW. So yes, I have a a, a high excitement from afar. Uh, well, she's going to be mo- gone for a month, so and she probably won't listen to this podcast. So I might be going to pick that up, <laughs> see what I can crack back in. What do you mind if I ask what what your what your policy is about that game? Yeah, no. <laughs> okay, <laughs> is the policy? Oh, so it was no. one of those things. Yeah, like no, that yeah, that that is the policy. Like, don't play this thing. Ah. Um, and I haven't been able to. And it, it's it's because, Jeff. Look what you're doing. You're going to ruin a marriage, buddy. Stop. That's right. Oh my god! No. But like, have you seen the feature list of Legion? Because it looks so sweet, dude. I'll partner up with you. You have level 80s. Come on, dude. You come on. <laughs> So I kid you not, uh, there was there was about six weeks, uh, you know, two months in there where my wife saw nothing but the side of my head. And she's like, you know, I haven't seen your eyes for a very long period of time. And, you know, maybe that's not a good thing that maybe that's not how we facilitate our family. And uh, she totally doesn't talk like that. But um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so it's one of those things that, wow, I get back into and I fall back into all of my old habits. I actually don't have that uh, problem with uh, most of the other MMOs because I say, oh, it's a copy of this it's a copy of that but if i go back into wow i know the places to go i know the people i know the guilds i go and you know like okay so it's that social draw and then we, i'll be hanging out for 10 hours online just to watch guild chat while i'm farming for uh, materials for recipe materials right. and that is not something that sustains a healthy marriage you got it bad that's all i'm saying the the the, the how many level 80s or how many level 90s whatever you had uh yeah You'll have to rewind the episode. I'm not saying it again. <laughs> you got it bad. All right, moving <laughs> moving on from that. Um, <laughs> uh, I, let's let's move on to uh, to VR talk. Uh, I have an interesting email that I want to read. But uh, as I said, the voting is still going strong in the uh, the subreddit five by five DLC dot You can find the uh, the current stats, and we just had a new. Uh, a new leader emerge in the voting. They exploded after last week. And uh, so we have a new, um, a different bumper this week. I'm trying to find the thing. I thought I had it up, but I do not. Uh, anyway, we have a new bumper this week. So here we go. Jeff's VR segment. Jeff, 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 Jeff. Jeff's VR segment. VR, VR, VR. Jeff's VR segment. Jeff, 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 Jeff. Jeff's VR segment. VR, VR, VR. All right. Um, 
I want to read this email. This was sent to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This is Dan from Hattiesburg. He writes, uh, Hey, Jeff, Christian, and guest, writing to share my room scale in the wild story and pick your brains about the future of this tech. I've owned a Vive for a month, and room scale has been a real paradigm shift for me. After using it for a couple of hours in a small space, I was blown away enough by it to do anything possible to make a bigger space. I recently took my Vive to visit friends and family, and as a result, three of my friends now have Vives of their own. See, that's how it happens, guys. The four of us have spent many hours now online enjoying VR games like Pool Nation, Battle Dome, Rec Room, Hover Junkers, and Horde Z, and we pretty much all agree that these games wouldn't be half as good without the room scale aspect. Room scale has allowed me to feel like I'm literally hanging out with my long-distance friends in a way I simply have not been able to do otherwise, and it has also made my gaming time a lot more active. I've dropped nearly 10 pounds in the last month, and I think a good deal of this was related to my hour or two of gaming time per day that has primarily been more physically demanding. That leads to my question. How important do you guys think room scale ultimately is? Is it where all VR ultimately ends up in the next few years? Is it just a passing fad or designed to remain to a niche market? Personally, I feel the niche, uh, the indie scene on the Vive right now is healthy enough that even if the market doesn't expand, I'll be happily playing room scale games for years. And I wonder how mainstream you think this tech will become. Uh, interesting question. Uh, I'll, uh, I wonder, Steve, what is your experience with VR? Have you tried it? Are you sold on the tech? Or are you skeptical? Uh, I've tried the technology, uh, mostly for different prototypes and stuff like that for, um, uh, different projects. Um, I, I kind of, so there's obviously this is a heated conversation and the, the people on both sides, I, um, think that it's going to catch on. I think that it will become kind of how we define a lot of different business spaces and how we, uh, interact with people long distance. I think it shrinks the world to the, the better our VR works. Uh, kind of the other side of that is the, you know, work controllers uh, and mice are, motion enhancers. Um, so it really enables us to do a large amount of work with very little motion and very little effort. So kind of what I think is going to happen is with VR technology, we're going to have the uh, people that are trying to create uh, an, a duplicate experience so that the uh, room scale experience, um, and that will create a certain type of gameplay. I think over time that will generally get uh, old as far as it goes in gameplay. And then we'll find some sort of ma- balance where, uh, yes, you'll need some sort of motion in order to feel like you're fully pulled into the scene, uh, but you'll want to be able to um, uh, multiply your your motion through some other means to be able to kind of get both. Interesting. Uh, uh, Steve sounds like a guy, he knows what he's talking about. If anyone wants to hire him, I feel like he's used words that I'm just like, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. I'm very professional at sounding professional. <laughs> <laughs> Christian, I know you have strong feelings about this. Um, what do you think? I I think room scale is incredible. Raw data was the thing that made me, you know, want a Vive before sadly realizing I cannot have a Vive. I I mean, I just literally don't have the space for a Vive anywhere in my house where I could have a Vive. Uh, Like the only place I could have it would be in my living room or dining room. And that'd be clearing out, you know, my daughter's toys and our coffee table. And it's not realistic for me to have that or if I had it and then moving that stuff to play it is something I just know I wouldn't do and moving my PC to be in that room. I mean, I think room scale totally is, you know, the now or the future or where this tech goes, but I think it needs to be streamlined, whether it's 
you know, like that Ghostbusters experience in New York. Holy crap. That sounds incredible where it's room scale, but also like you open the door and someone like puts a real door by your hand that you actually open. Yeah. It's insane. And I think as things become slimmer and smaller, I I totally agree with Dan that that room scale is the selling point of VR, but I, I, I don't think we're there yet. I also agree with Steve that we will see, you know, this, um, bifurcation perhaps and you know like say you're going to go tour an apartment well you put on your vr headset and you walk through the apartment it's incredible what a great way to see a place but people also like playing madden because they can't throw a 30 yard bomb and i don't want to have to play madden play room scale and drop back five yards before i you know throw a pass so you'll see i think i think the tech will exist in both spaces and i just hope that room scale becomes smaller scale room scale so that i can play it in my tiny Southern California Well, there's house. a different, right? There's, there's room scale and then there's standing scale. And I think standing scale is really what the Oculus Touch controllers are going to emphasize at launch. And I think a lot of what the PlayStation VR experiences that use the Move controllers will emphasize as well. Standing scale is is you're standing in the universe, you're standing in that world, you're, you feel like you're standing in a place, but you don't actually walk from here to there, you just you can gesticulate and you can be in that world and touch things and move around and look around. But the game never asks you to actually walk in your real world physical location. And right. I think those kinds of experiences are going to be much more accessible from a just convenience and and ease of use you know way. And in, in the sense of like you don't have to move your coffee table out of the way. You know, a lot of that sort of thing we've experienced, we've all experienced with the Wii and all that stuff of like oh if you want to or even rock band. If you want to play this, you're going to have to rearrange your living room. Nobody wants to do that. Uh, but being able to feel still that presence and, and be inside that world and be standing and, you know, feel like you're there, uh, it, it will still be accomplished with VR on that scale. But having said that and having a vibe, there is something magical about physically walking from a place to another place or physically turning around, bending down, picking something up off the ground, walking to the other corner of the room and, and putting it down. Um, I've been playing a bunch of uh, the Solus project on my Vive, uh, which is, is problematic in some ways, but this is a game, it's a survival game about being on a planet. And the fact that you teleport in this game, but you can walk around and pick things up and it's very deep and complex and a big, big experience. It was initially not created for VR and they ported it over. So it has some issues, but man, it's, it, you really feel like you're on a deserted planet and huh. that experience of, you know, and I've talked a lot about vanishing realms and I've talked a lot about, um, call of the star seed. These experiences of actually walking around inside a, a, a fake place is that is, that's the magic. That's the thing we all want out of VR. I don't think that sitting there with a headset on is going to be bad by any stretch of the imagination. I also think that is a transportive experience too. And I'm certainly enjoying that. But, um, you know, I, I do think that I agree with uh, Dan here, his email. He says that the, the a lot of the fun on Vive right now is this indie scene. If you're in the subreddit for Vive, every single day there's a new thing that somebody pops up of like either look what I'm looking working on or look what you guys can download to try out because I have this crazy idea. And there, it's all because of the inspiration of room scale. It's all because that kind of experience 
you've never had before. And all these people are like, oh my God, I want to try and make something in that space. So I think that's not going to go away. People are just inspired by it, um, which is why, in a large sense, I think it's very different from Waggle or 3D televisions or any of the other stale technologies that people compare VR to. It's not like that because those things did not create this level of inspiration in the average gamer uh, or average designer. Anyway, um, I think it's, you know, obviously think it's a pretty exciting horizon. And he talks a lot about uh, really interesting experiences. I got another email this week um, criticizing me and this segment. Uh, You know, I get a lot of people who are I think that was just a text I sent you, Jeff. <laughs> it was by C. Spicer, but I just thought, I thought it was Carol. No, no, no. That's no. too obvious. Christian S. <laughs> um, anyway, this a lot of people really enjoy the VR segment, and I'm glad to hear from you. I get so many people are like, I was skeptical, and then I tried it. And oh, my God. I love hearing about it now. But I also get a lot of people who are like, VR, stop talking about it. One person in particular said that he did not value my opinion on uh, VR because I'm almost – well, not he didn't say almost. He said I'm always positive. I'm always um, – uh, I have no criticisms, which A, I think is factually incorrect. I think I'm – Oh, so you have criticisms of his email but of nothing <laughs> else? <laughs> I think it's factually incorrect because I do talk about uh, critical things. But I want to point out – that there are so many experiences right now on VR and a very short segment on the show. I'm handpicking the ones I like the most to bring up. <laughs> so that's one thing. But I will, in the spirit of uh, bipartisanship, I will, uh, I will mention a few uh, VR games that I've been disappointed in. We need a new bumper than it. Jeff hates this VR game. Jeff hates this VR game. It's a shame that Jeff hates this game. Um, I have to admit, I, I bought a few games on the Steam Summer Sale that I was a little disappointed in. A lot of people raved about a game called A Chair in a Room. And <laughs> what, are you laughing at the title? <laughs> yeah, a Chair in a Room. A VR game, A Chair in a Room. Sound like it a, sounds like you know what you're getting. Fun? It sounds like it matches its advertising. No, it's a, it's a horror experience. It's you, you're in a series of rooms and you have to figure out what happened in them or you know find objects that are hidden. And it very much is room scale. It's very much what I'm talking about about wandering around and looking under things and behind things and through things and picking stuff up and manipulating it. And there are some really cool moments. There's a moment right at the beginning where you're in this this doctor's office and this person is talking to you from behind glass and the glass has that. Uh, I don't know what you call it, where it has like waves in it and it distorts the image behind the glass. So, you know, it just has a regular 3D model of a person behind it who's talking to you. But because the glass is so distorted, it actually looks more realistic because you don't see the the detail that's missing in the in the, you know, the video game character. It, It actually looks like a real person behind that glass because you just see this sort of faint outline of of flesh color. Um and it's really effective. Like this person's talking to you and you're listening and they're asking you to do certain things. And, uh, you know, so there's interesting stuff. But overall, I thought I found the game pretty disappointing. Uh, and I know a lot of people were disappointed in me in me for that because uh, I got this game was recommended to me a bunch by people who are like, oh, it's so cool. I didn't find the cool in it. Um, so, you know, there, there are these negative experiences that I'm having. Uh, I just choose not to talk about those because there are so many other experiences that I'm excited about. But as the, as the text sort of evens out and we get more of these big releases, it will, we will treat it more like 
a regular review where the next big thing we talk about and talk about whether we like it or don't. So that's the situation. <laughs> I think that's fair, right, guys? It's totally fair. Indeed. All right. And I, th- I think just uh, just to kind of follow up on that, that's the uh, the experience with VR and augmented reality, alternate reality. I mean, it's it's something that uh, I guess our generation has wanted since very uh, since forever. Right. And this is where the technology is headed. This is the early adoption phase. There's going to be a lot of weird stuff happening, but we have to try it. Right. And it's it's going to refine itself into something and it's going to refine itself into something that we use every day is is the prediction. Um, so, you know, hate is going to hate. So you got to try it. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, the person who wrote me that email is, says he always skips this segment anyway, so he's not hearing any of this. Uh, but I still wanted to put it out there in case people think that, uh, I don't know. All right. In the next seg- segment, I'll go back and, hey, there's something real cool you have to check out last ah, segment. screw that all right. guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Let's, uh, let's carve out a little bit of tabletop time. Tabletop time. Right now. Right now. Steve, I'm so glad to have you here because it seems that you are a avid or an avid uh, board gamer. Uh, specifically, it looks like a bunch of um, deck building games. You're you're a fan of deck building games. Uh, yeah, well, that that requires a little of explanation. So uh, I'm. In the background in the video game space, although I'm not a programmer, once upon a time, uh, I was an opera singer. That was my first degree. <laughs> and, um, uh, and why so, am I singing these bumpers like a boob over here then? What am I? I'm taking notes down and we'll talk later. I can help. So, um, yeah, fantastic. So when I, when I work in the video game tech space, uh, mostly it's, it's as a uh, project manager, product manager, talking to people that know how to do the tech and helping them c- collaborate with one another. Well, uh, as a super gamer nerd, I, uh, um, manage people like a role-playing game adventure. Uh, so of course I wanted to program a video game, although I can't do that. I have none of the skills. Uh, so I, uh, have reached into the, uh, tabletop space in order to kind of produce engines that will do what I want, but without needing the, um, uh, technical acumen. So I've been uh, doing a lot of research in deck building games to kind of provide that engine for me. And is that because you enjoy deck building games? Uh, yes. Uh, I started off with Dominion and, uh, well, we, I think we all started off with right. Dominion. Um, and, um, it's, it's kind of one of those watching the genre develop, but, uh, where I, where I've kind of come from on that is, uh, we all start with thinking that our, our, our project is, is, it's wonderful. It's the best baby ever. Uh, and then you find out that you've just recreated Monopoly and you're like, okay, well that sucks. <laughs> uh, so as I go around different genres, the, the, uh, deck building, is to me the most compelling thing to kind of accomplish the objectives that I'm after. Yeah, um, it's interesting because I think the deck building genre, as you said, started with Dominion, and I think it exploded right after that. And it's it had a, about three or four years there where everything was like a deck builder with this and a deck builder with that, and now we throw a deck building into this normal other kind of game, and it felt like everybody was really excited about that new mechanic. And I feel like that's a little bit waned at this point. We're not seeing as many deck builders as as we used to, but um, I still think it's it's interesting. You know, some people think deck building they associate it with Magic: The Gathering, where you or Hearthstone, where you build your deck before you play. These games, uh, the key mechanic is building it as part of the game itself. So you're playing it 
and building the deck at the same time. Um, so, you know, what are your, some of your favorites? Uh, so the favorite that I'm I'm liking right now is um, Legendary Encounters, an alien deck building game, um, and I, I guess I can throw in just from an experience standpoint, Star Trek deck building game. Now, what I like about those is uh, you when you start to play the game. I, I'm a big fan of co-ops, um, and there's there's a whole lot of haters on the co-op scene uh, in the uh, tabletop space because it's really really hard to get away from the alpha gamer that stands around everybody saying you should do this and you should do the other thing and right. whatnot. Um, and so having a situation where there's some unknown information on the board, both in the player's hand and on the board, um, has a sense of exploration. Again, going back to, you know, how I like to engage with games. Uh, and so as you play, you are all discovering the information at the same time. And while an alpha gamer might be able to uh, offer some advice, it's, it's, uh, much, much less than be basically doing multi multi-person solitaire, uh, which is what a lot of the co-op deck building games can be. Uh, and so that's what I'm digging and Star Trek just kind of completely manages to capture the the tension of uh, the different factions, especially the Borg mission, really really hard. Um, and since I'm a big Trekkie, you you overlook some of the uh, uh, other rough edges because of the theme. yeah. Well, those legendary games, the Alien deck building game and the DC Legendary, and uh, those are interesting because you can smash them all together and create these weird genre mashup games, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can. And one of the things that uh, I'm, I find compelling is um, with the legendary series or their core mechanic, there's there's always kind of a track of enemy cards coming uh, towards you and uh, you have to kind of w- prioritize how to get through that. And so whereas uh, like Dominion has a set of cards where you're drafting into your, your hand and those cards are always available and you kind of know what your, your strategy is after watching what players are, are uh, different players are doing. The legendary system has this changing track, and in the alien deck building game, that version of it, you don't know what's coming down the pipe. So you really kind of have to plan for a lot of different scenarios and um, use a lot of strategy, and it really it presses against your your playing. I guess it, what it does is it doesn't give you time to work on your strategy because the board's working against right. you. I think that's really cool. I, I think uh, Thunderstone had that as well, and um, Ascension has that to a certain ex- extent too. Absolutely. Uh, you also listed Star Realms, a game that I really dig. I mean, it's a two-player only version of this kind of mechanic, but uh, both Star Realms and Ascension are available as iPad uh, apps, and I think both offer really fun experiences if you're used to playing Hearthstone. Both of those games are excellent. Right. And actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because I have those on my list, but I'm using the app version, so I wasn't sure whether it quite, <laughs> quite qualified. Oh, you know, and so I part of the the project that I'm uh, working on it has to do with how um, what platforms are we using, and this again leads into emergent technologies. And so, can we use an app to ca- to capture this? Can we use a different platform? What is a card game experience? And so, I think Star Realms and Ascent- Ascension both have very pleasing user experiences. When at least on the iPad, I, I played it on uh, iPhone, and uh, I was like, this this is this is not a good experience at all. So you have to. Have have enough play space, but uh, quite good uh, digital experience. Are you as somebody well. that uh, wants to have more of that tabletop experience in a digital way, or are you trying to look for ways to combine those two, uh, you know, those two worlds and, and create something that's greater than the sum of its parts? 
It's interesting that you asked that. I, I was uh, dancing around that subject uh, <laughs> on purpose. The because uh, from the tabletop industry, getting people around the table is the point, right? right? Um, on the other side, I know what kind of drama it is to try to get mobile games uh, any attention in, in the uh, app stores. Uh, I know how crowded the indie scene is, um, and how much work goes into all of that. And so my uh, preference from an operation standpoint, I'm, and so my background is doing all of the boring stuff that developers didn't want to do. So I'm looking for the lowest cost, highest impact. And so I'm, I'm looking to some technologies to um, create that mixed experience, mostly because the cost of producing a board game is astronomically high. I mean, it's part of the old industrial age and we're out of the industrial age. And so it's, it's one of those kind of Klingon technologies that this is how you have to bring out a physical product. If you can figure out a way to smudge the line between the two and get some, some uh, tabletop ish experiences from a digital platform. Um, I, I'm very excited about seeing what that might do to the industry. It's interesting. You know, one of the, the stories that we didn't talk about last week in uh, story of the week was an article that uh, talked about how, Kickstarter projects on uh, for video games are weighed down in terms of um, average funding, and Kickstarter projects for board games are way up. And uh, it's an interesting dichotomy there. It is an expensive um, thing to create a physical product and deliver that physical product to end users, but the crowdfunding world has really embraced board games and that it doesn't have the uh, uncertain stigma that video game Kickstarters seem to have garnered from a lot of uh, uneven releases like Mighty Number no. Nine, etc., uh, and where board games seem to be have been delivered. I mean, there are some exceptions as well. Um, uh, Doom comes to something town. I can't remember the name, name of that game, but there, there's some big, you know, uh, marquee bad Kickstarter board games. But for the most part. These games are being funded, they're being funded in big numbers, and they're delivering well. And, and even very mainstream companies are using crowdfunding as a way to, to fund the cost and delivery of, of board games, whereas it seems like you know, major companies aren't really doing that in the video game space. Right, right. And actually, that's where I get excited about um, the tabletop industry being the one that kind of pushes back into the video game space. Um, and because when we're talking about, you know, just raw dollars, you know, we're in the, you know, tens and 20 millions of dollars per year, I think, for the tabletop um, market, especially the designer board game market. Um, it's just crazy billions for um, the video game space. And so I think there's just a huge opportunity. Uh, and a lot of this relates to some technologies that uh, maybe if there's a, a vendor like Steam that can provide a lot of the infrastructure, if there's um, a new game engine that can provide a lot of these basic physics, uh, then it, it really lowers the barrier of entry from one side of the gaming market to the other. So that's kind of the stuff that I'm keeping my eye on. So interesting. I love it. I love talking to you about it. It's really cool. Um, I, you know, I got a chance to play Scythe this week, but maybe I'll save that for next week. We're running a little long anyway, but um, amazing game that I can't wait to talk to you guys about. Uh, what a, wow, what a game. So stay tuned for that for next week. Uh, we'll wrap things up, but I do want to thank our sponsor, Linode. Linode is a hosting company offering high-performance Linux servers for all of your infrastructure needs. Linode has it all. Lightning quick servers in the cloud, a super-fast 40 GPS network, automated backups, node balancers, managed servers, 
guides with step-by-step instructions, a simple but powerful control panel, 99.9% uptime, 24-7 support experts, and all the tools you need to get the job done right the first time. And now, Linode offers 2 gigabytes of RAM for only 10 bucks a month. Over 400,000 customers trust the Linode platform, including 5x5. 5x5's infrastructure is happily hosted on Linode. And getting started is easy. Just pick a plan, choose your favorite Linux distro, and pick from one of eight data centers in America, Europe, and Asia. Just visit linode.com slash 5x5 today to support the show and use promo code 5x5 for a $10 credit. linode.com slash 5x5. Simple, powerful, reliable. All right, guys, uh, that's going to do it for this episode. As I said, we, we have bonus content coming at you. It's pretty fun. And also... We got our parting gift. Don't want to miss out on that. But uh, I got to thank you, uh, Steve, for being here. Where can people uh, keep up with your stuff if they're so inclined? All right. Well, you can uh, find me at thegamingcareerspodcast.com or thecompanybard.com for uh, some of the other services that I offer. And you can find me on Twitter at at Ruduski. That's R-U-D-U-S-K-I. Very much. Uh, Christian, how about you? What do you got going on this week? Um, parenting podcast, Department of Parenting. If you have kids or are getting close, I think you'll enjoy it. They drop on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We have a, we're recording with a guest this week. It'll likely come out, I don't know, maybe next week or so about nutrition and, you know, how to feed a picky eater or just a kid in general. And <laughs> once they start having their own opinions, <laughs> uh, so I think that should be a fun one. And then if you uh, are so inclined, you can head over to my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Christian Spicer. 713. I have all of my game streams there. You can watch my entire playthrough of Play Dead's Inside with my live commentary and reactions and me going, oh man, um, um, oh man, oh man, go, 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 yes! There's a lot of my fist up in the air uh, as I figure things out and um, also some continued to be stinkers, unfortunately. Rise, um, Son of Rome, picked up on the Steam sale. It's still not great. Beautiful, but still not great. <laughs> um, that's at YouTube.com, Christian Spicer 713. And then uh, Twitter is the easiest way to get in touch with me. It is at Spicer, S-P-I-C-E-R. And oh yeah, people didn't know, I don't know if we mentioned it on the show. This show is live streamed on my Twitch, which is twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer you will not find the archive of it there after it is no longer live. Um, I take it down. It's just for live to have the chat and stuff like that. Um, the archives, of course, are 5x5.tv slash DLC. But if you are free on Mondays when we record it, come hang out with us over on Twitch. Jeff, what about you? You can always follow me on Twitter at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I have several other shows for you. got a movie and TV review show called The Slash Filmcast. Uh, we're talking about uh, a movie called The Neon Demon this week and then Ghostbusters next next week. So find that at SlashFilmCast.com. Uh, also, I have my technology video show on CNET called Tomorrow Daily, which you can find at TomorrowDaily.com. And We Have Concerns, which is a bite-sized comedy show uh, people seem to dig. Give it a shot. WeHaveConcerns.com. Com. Uh, we appreciate getting your emails. Always send those to dlcfeedback at gmail.com and weigh in on the show. Uh, let's, uh, let's hit our parting gift, shall we? Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. Steve, you have something uh, that you can... Uh, recommend that'll get people through their week? 
Yeah, so kind of related to the uh, rest of the conversation, uh, something that's not quite a video game and not quite a tabletop game, you might want to check out uh, Tabletopia or Tabletop Simulator. I like keeping my eye on uh, kind of emerging technologies and platforms so that when we're talking about things that might help blur the line between one side and the other, um, these might be uh, companies to keep an eye on to help facilitate your projects. Tabletop Simulator just got a Vive release too. You can play it in VR, so that's pretty cool. Uh, awesome. And Christian, how about you? You got a parting gift? I might have mentioned this before. Forgive me if I have, but um, you guys, stay hot coffee cup, like thermoses, individual type things. I don't know if you just remember little thermoses in your Star Wars Empire Strikes Back lunchbox from back in the day, but these things have gotten so much better than they used to be. Talk about getting you through your week. Um, you know, I can pour a cup of coffee into this thing in the, in the morning. Let's be honest, I drink the whole thing because I got to wake up. Um, <laughs> but it will keep it hot, like legit hot, four or five hours. Uh, I'd recommend a specific brand, but I have several different brands, and they're all they're all great. If you go online and just do a little bit of research, I, I will um, pull my favorites. Uh, maybe next week, and I'll give you my three faves out of the five that <laughs> that we have around the house. But it's like a real thing that until whatever it was two years ago and I got mine as a gift, I was like, these things don't work. I have given so many as gifts <laughs> now. They, It's incredible. And I don't know the Spaceman technology behind it, but I love it. Hey, I uh, maybe mentioned it earlier in the show. I went to see um, Louis C.K. do stand-up uh, and his his big tour in stadiums. He's like doing stadiums now uh, in Los Angeles. I went 16,000 people in the stadium watching Louis C.K. do stand-up. Uh, my goodness, was it funny. I don't, he doesn't need my recommendation. You probably already know he's hilarious, but, uh, I would say, uh, the, the price of admission to that concert totally felt worth it. It, I hurt myself laughing. It is quite funny. He's got three different comics opening for him. Uh, it felt like a big night of, of laughter and man, he is quite good, quite funny. Makes you think, makes you laugh. Um, so easy to recommend. Hey, we got a, a listener with a parting gift. You can always send your listener parting gifts to five by five DLC dot. Uh, excuse me, no, that's not. Well, you could you could put them on the subreddit, but you, we really would like you to send them to uh, DLC feedback at gmail dot com. Uh, this um, this comes from Anthony. He says, uh, "My name is Anthony uh, with two N's and one T." Ah, see what he did there? Uh, long-time Australian listener from the weekend confirmed days. I listen to what you guys put out into the world, and it makes mine a better place. Uh, very nice of you to say, Anthony. He says, my suggestion for a parting g- gift is quite possibly the greatest thing to ever come out of the Transformers franchise. The comic book series, More Than Meets the Eye, by James Roberts. I'll describe it as a cross between Red Dwarf and Firefly, but with robots, in that it's about a bunch of colorful characters traveling through space, having crazy adventures, and getting drunk along the way. It's funny and compelling, while often dark and tragic, and on top of that, it's surprisingly progressive. The main cast features a well-developed gay couple, some of the main male characters have feminine psyches, and it's not considered a big deal, and the series tackles issues such as mental health, propaganda, and discrimination. As a starting point, I highly recommend starting with a couple of James Roberts' standalone entries, Transformers number 22 and 23. They're set before the main series and are basically just Optimus and Megatron sitting in a room and talking, and it's amazing. Thank you, Anthony, for sending that in. I have not been reading that comic, uh, but now I'm going to check it out. That sounds like a really cool uh, recommendation. All right. 
that's going to do it for this episode. Stick around for our bonus content if you have played inside, because I think it's a fun, spirited discussion. But thanks to Stephen Roduski for being here. Thanks to Christian Spicer. Uh, thanks to all of our awesome uh, the bumper makers uh, that we have every week, including Sean Madigan, uh, Zero Star, Patrick L. And uh, I think it was um, Billy, Bobby. Gosh, I'm trying to look it up right now, and I can't remember. He's in the new lead for the new VR bumper. Uh, thank you for sending that in. Awesome stuff. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. Welcome to the bonus content for this episode. Uh, this week, Christian and I are going to be talking about Inside, the indie game from Play Dead Games. Uh, we're going to do full-on spoilers here, and this is a game that can be spoiled. There are big surprises. There are um, unexpected. I left it turns. outside for a week, and I came back to it, and it was disgusting. <laughs> 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 yeah, so do not... Uh, listen to this if you haven't played Inside and you're intending to, because uh, we are going to talk full spoilers. So you have been warned. Uh, Christian, you finished the game last night. Is that right? Uh, I think maybe two nights ago. My total yeah. play time, it's all up on my Twitch and uh, archived on the YouTube, which is Christian Spicer 713 My total play time, I think, was three hours and 50 minutes, something right. like that. Not not a super long game, uh, but I I really loved the experience. Um, we're recording this before we recorded the episode. I'm sure we're going to talk in the episode about sort of your general thoughts about the game. So we won't rehash that, but I want to talk about specific moments and the ending certainly deserves a lot of discussion and we'll get to that. But before we get to the ending, I want to talk about certain, you know, experiences throughout. I found just the way that little moments were introduced in inside to be pretty incredible and pretty magical uh, the way it plays against your expectations, you know, like Limbo before it, this is a game where you learn by dying. And those deaths, my goodness, even in the early part of the game are so even more than Limbo. And Limbo is pretty intense, but this is so jarring and so intense when you are captured by humans or, you know, sliced in half or electrocuted by that stingy thing that comes down. Hoo-hoo. <laughs> That's my official, my official critique. Hoo-hoo. How, how do you spell that for the digital box art quote? <laughs> yeah, that's my pull quote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I felt like the the death animations in this game, um, I never finished Limbo, full disclosure. I I think I moved to playing it on my Vita and then fell off of it for some reason. I don't I don't know why. Um I will likely now go back to play it. I think it's out on even iOS devices. I think it exists everywhere. Um but I remember those deaths being more jarring at the time when I was playing it first than these deaths were. I don't know if it's really? because Limbo had existed. Um, Limbos were almost more comical, which I felt like made them more uh, – it almost felt more grotesque in the sense that I felt like they were supposed to be comical, but they weren't full-on Mortal Kombat comical. Whereas yeah. Inside, I mean, it was just I, – I, I don't know why this game makes me want to swear. I almost just dropped an S-bomb. Um it was just almost like, yeah, this is oppressive, and that dog is going to snap your stinking neck. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it's going to rip it, your throat out, literally. 
yeah. So there was like a reality and a weight to the world that almost made it feel less disturbing to me when the deaths happened because everything was so oppressive, right. if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and I found it the way it communicates its vocabulary to the player to be really interesting. You know how that very first moment where you run up to a wall and you can't get over it and there's a refrigerator standing right there and you're like, well, I'm pretty sure I need to get on this refrigerator to get over the wall, but I I don't know how to do that. And the game's not telling me how to do that. Any other game would be like, press X to grab refrigerator. Mm -hmm. Uh, This game does not. It just lets you exist in that uncertainty for a little while, which I found to be pretty cool because it took me a second to kind of figure that out. Yeah, well, it's very much we talked about it on an old DLC about, you know, Mario 1-1 and how it's game design sets up, you know, the expectations for the player. You're moving left to right because your character is on the far left of the screen and then you jump to hit this flashing box or get over an enemy. And I think this game also could be studied for its game design and how it introduces things to the players. It opens with you rolling down a hill. So you have that momentum carrying you to the right. This is a game, too, that in later levels you do go right to left. You're not exclusively going left to right, right, but it starts you out going in that direction. So you have actual and figurative momentum and then it presents you with yeah there's never a button prompt there's never a checkpoint there's never text on the screen i mean it's not the longest game but it also i think it works because it it it, uh lends itself to a marathon gameplay i think if it was 12 hours i think there would be people that would play for 12 hours without realizing (laughs) it was 12 hours it just keeps it keeps going and it rests it, the action, I feel like, or, you know, the, the intensity with puzzles. So it's like your heart, you take a break from like running away from, uh, I called it the ring girl, like the siren swimmers. I just thought yeah. they looked like the girl that comes out of the well in the ring. Right. Um, and like you, you rest from those moments and then you're like, oh, let me just take a break. Ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> I can't yeah. figure this out. And then the, the solution is, is right in front of you. Um, and telegraphed is overstating it, but presented the solution is presented to you in the most obvious, but yet sincere way that isn't obvious. <laughs> it's like right in front of you. And you're like, Oh, I know. Oh, I know I can find the answer on this screen, but like, okay, I'm going to put my hands over my head. I'm going to lean <laughs> back. I'm going to, Oh, I'm such an idiot. I got to move that box. <laughs> I'm trying to step through the sure. surprises in a chronological order, uh, but tell me if there's anything that stuck out to you that I'm I'm skipping. Um, I feel like the way that they create uh, those last second escapes in the early part of the game took my breath away several times where you will jump out of the snapping jaws of a dog inches from your feet where you you know yeah the the part where you have to go back and forth over the gate a few times to try to keep the yeah. dogs at bay, uh, and and the way it continues to create those moments over and over, and they never get any less impactful to me because every time I'm like I'm not gonna make it I'm not gonna make it oh I made it oh god oh boy uh, because those deaths are so jarring and intense I think that it creates those last second moments <laughs> even even more. Yeah, there's a a part in the game. I know you're trying to go chronological, but I, I keep jumping around because you remind me of things that uh, 
explain or dive deeper into the example. There's a later part in the game where there's one of those ring girls underwater and you're above water and you need to open the lure, open the gate, lure her back to a different spot, much like you learned with the dogs earlier, and then swim down and close the gate and swim through so she's blocked. And as I was trying to figure out that puzzle, I was sitting there and I'm just like, I know that dying, there's no consequence to my death here. Like I'm not, I don't lose an hour of gameplay. I literally start right above this puzzle, but I still don't like having it happen. And I know I need to keep diving into this water to explore, to see, I was like, do I push it, wait for it to come up for a little bit, push it again, then swim under it? No, she's too fast. Okay, do I just, is there a button on this other side? How far can I get? So there must've been six or seven deaths there because that's how you have to figure out the puzzle. And it's unsettling every time because you're just like man i'm a little kid in a red shirt <laughs> yeah <laughs> and this ring girl is just like snapping or holding you under it's the, yeah. the, the manner in which those animations happen too it it, it gets you you're like oh god okay they got me oh they got me um th- that moment though where you're hanging from the chain and you drag your feet in the water to yeah. get uh, oh, just incredible um so I'm trying to, you know, hit all the, there's so many moments in this game to me that, that were incredible, just cinematically almost. Um, the, uh, the, well, the time, the, the first time you put, you know, jump up and put your head in the helmet and yeah. now you're controlling the zombies, uh, in a way. Uh, and, and I'm like, Oh, Oh, all of a sudden I'm in Pikmin. Now we're playing Pikmin. <laughs> Um, I thought that was a pretty wonderful surprise. I didn't know that was going to happen. And I thought just that mechanic alone was pretty incredible. What did you think of that? Yeah, it was great. And then they layer it by having you mind control a guy who's mind controlling a guy. Like the way they just smartly tell you, uh, introduce mechanics and then expand on them or make them more complex. It's, it's, it's brilliant. And it could have been I can't, a, an, an entire game in and of itself. Like you could build an entire game around just that. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think they didn't even need to make it as complex as they made it. And I still would have enjoyed, you know, the the puzzle game, the ten level Catherine style like yeah. puzzle game or yeah. whatever. It's it's phenomenal. And again, no prompt, nothing telling you, you know, push X to mourn or whatever. You just <laughs> see this glowing helmet, and there's nothing else to do on the screen. Uh, and so you jump into it, and then you're just like, oh that thing's animated. I guess I got to do something with this guy now. It's, I can't imagine how they created these puzzles. It's yeah. The, the, the sort of just keep doing something and you'll figure it out. Like early on in the game, when you walk into that barn and there's that thing on the, on the top of the rafter and you turn the machine on and it blows air at the thing. And I'm like, the blowing of the air is supposed to push the thing over. I don't understand why the blowing of the air is not working. And then it's like, well, there's nothing else to freaking do in here. And then you, you walk outside and Oh, there's little creatures that, you now can propel through the air at that check. It's like, just keep going, just keep wandering around and things will happen and occur to you. And, and yet I always felt like a genius when I discovered something. Yeah. I was balancing between, and I probably say this too much on my streams just because it's what I was experiencing. I balanced between like feeling like a genius after I figured it out. And then also feeling like an idiot as I was trying to figure it out. Cause I'm like, okay, I know that, it, I, I'm pretty sure this is this is a solution, but is it not? Am I just beating my head on the wrong wall? Like you know that idea of when someone presents what they what a solution could be, it's hard for you to get that out of your mind. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm pretty sure I need to raise this platform to do this thing, and I can't. I'm missing just part of it. I got to just figure this out. So 
but what if it's actually something completely different? Okay, I'm going to go back. I'm going to walk all the way back, and it, it just uh, – I don't know the it, the way the answers present themselves. It's like every time I was like, mwah, mwah, beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and then like the moment where you're wa- walking in procession with the zombies and you have to match their movements so as to not be discovered. I just thought that was a magical moment as well. Um, but yeah, the, the, the two biggest moments in the game where my jaw was on the floor. The first one is when you've been conditioned over and over and over to fear death, to avoid it, to figure out ways to learn from it, to understand that, oh, okay, that jarring moment just happened, but now I'm going to go back and do it again. You've been murdered by that little ring creature many times, and you've tried to avoid it, and you're trying to figure it out, and then the ring creature murders you one more time, and the game doesn't stop. And it's pulling you deeper and deeper in the water, and it's not fading to black. And what's happening? I, the game hasn't stopped. I'm not. I'm clearly dead. But what's going on? It's going deeper and deeper. That moment, I was like, "What a beautiful payoff to all of the learning that I've done right now." So this moment, and I, I, I want to carve out some time to talk about what I will call the air quote story. That moment for me, gameplay wise, was incredible. It is where, in my opinion, the first crack in the story really presented itself. So from a gameplay perspective, I was like, this is great. This is incredible. This is just what you would expect from you run away from a thing. You successfully get away from this thing. And it was a tense moment right before that. And then you jump. You think you're in safety. Then you die. And then it subverts all of your expectations by not dying. And it was like, oh, game on game. Let's see what you got. Yeah. But from a narrative standpoint, that's that's the first big crack for me where I was like. Why? Uh, as illuminated by the end. Why? Why did she? I'm, I'm giving her a gender. Why did it do that then? And all the other times it killed you. I I don't think that there's a explicit reason that the game gives you but from my perspective it was from my perspective as a player i'm learning now that oh my goodness this thing that i have thought was my enemy isn't necessarily my enemy and maybe that creature made the same came to the same conclusion right uh and maybe it's a different creature than the first ones i came to i mean there's a lot of things you could read in and invent and perhaps your point is that you have to read it in an event instead of it being explicit, but it didn't bother me because of how uh, amazing that feeling was of like, oh my gosh, this game has hidden possibilities that weren't revealed to me before this moment. Like everything that I've expected is now anything can happen. And at this point, you know, it's like a character dying in Game of Thrones in the first season. It's like, <laughs> uh, what? Oh. We're in a completely different playing field now, you know? Yeah. Uh, did you um, did you do the secret ending? Secret ending? Yeah, the, se- the alternate ending? No. Did you look it up? No, I didn't know there was one. Okay, wow. so can, Things. I, can I spoil it for you? Sure. So, well, first I should ask, do, uh, I, so I loved this game. The gameplay is incredible. The puzzles are brilliant. The atmosphere. Sure I played with headphones said all this earlier in the episode, by the way. But go I'm ahead. reiterating before I, I poo poo the rest of it. The story. I 
I, the more I think about it, the more I hate it. And, and I hate it from a sense of, I feel like it's this, people are trying to hold it up as an example of something that's self-important and awesome and above its time and look at games. Aren't they art? And it's so obtuse. And what does it mean? And we can have a great discussion. Blah, 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 blah. And I think you can have a great discussion about it, but I think you can have that. And not if I think you can have great discussions about things that are crap. And I, and I kind of think the story and inside is crap. So the alternate ending, if you collect all of the orbs, what you're able to do is you progress further in the cornfield and there's another little vault that you get into. And there's a computer with one of those mind control helmets kind of off in the background. And if you disconnect the computer, you pull all the plugs, uh, the computer powers down and the boy in the red shirt also powers down. He slumps over and looks like one of the zombies. And the screen fades to black, and that's the end of the game. Okay. So it, you never become the other big creature? You know, you never become a blob buddy. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, nothing else happens. It's also the only time in the game that you don't have eyes on the protagonist. It, it fades completely to black, unlike the end of the game, where it stays on the blob on the beach. And so the theories that I've read are, you know, it's this idea of, the blob is mind controlling the boy the whole game to rescue the blob. But yet you are controlling the blob who's controlling the boy. So, but when you unplug yourself, unplug the computer, the boy then becomes clearly showing that he was mind controlled, Hmm. slumped over like one of the zombies. Interesting. Because you've now pulled power from the computer, which is you, the player playing the game. And then the question is, did the boy have agency? Was that the boy doing that? Because the boy shows that he's of higher intellect than the other zombies where he's like breathing heavy and getting nervous when he's in these dangerous situations. Um, So did he break free of this blob's mind control? And was he able to rescue himself, but by doing so just became a turned off zombie? Because I feel like the problem with the story, the, the, the main ending, is why... Why were you doing any of this stuff? What what was your action? What was calling you to do these things? Well, does it? I I don't understand why you need to impose that necessity on on the the game. Like why why did why do you ha- why does it have to answer that question for you? Why does the game have to have a story? Uh, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't. Right. It it doesn't have to have a story. A. But that's not kind kind of not my point. My point is <clears throat> maybe the why isn't the story. Maybe the what is the story. Explain. <clears throat> well, I didn't get that alternate ending. I'm hearing it for the first time now. So new information makes me feel like your interpretation has a lot of validity and, and weight or the interpretation you read or whatever, the one you just conveyed to me. But what I took from it, it, it based on the title of the of the game and sort of my experience being to this little boy, is that he was coming in to rescue I don't know, his parents, uh, other people, uh, people he cared about. uh, And he's going inside and they have become this thing. And he becomes the thing too. He is inside that experience with them to liberate them all. And it sort of just felt, it felt cathartic to me that this grotesque thing is actually a beautiful thing, that he becomes part of a greater whole and it worked as a, a, a sort of a grand metaphor for me. But all of that is my my layering on on the game. What it provides for me is just 
the what. It's just what's happening. And why is left up to me. And I know that you kind of preface this whole conversation saying that that's a pretentious inter- you know, a feeling about things is like, well, it gives me a, a license to add the why myself. But in this particular case, it, it really did move me because of the imagery. Like it didn't, it, this wasn't a story that you would read in a book. This is a more of a you know, a story that I would come to in a museum <laughs> when I'm looking at a sculpture or I'm looking at a, and I know that sounds pretentious talking about it as art, but it, it created feelings in me that weren't about a narrative progression. They were more about feelings of oppression, feelings of being studied, feelings of the other, feelings of being under a microscope and controlled and this you know, and then this wonderful feeling at the end that all of those people that had been so dangerous throughout this entire thing were drawn to that window and looking out that window and completely forget that they're supposed to be a threat to this boy and just watch this thing because this thing is somehow greater and more confusing and more interesting than what they've been doing. And then the boy can get inside and inside and become part of that and and have this liberation and then that ending where I mean I I liken it to the end of Half-Life 2 where you get the blue gravity gun and all of a sudden all the things that became dangerous to me I can just they're just playthings are just toys the the soldiers that had once been dangerous in Half-Life 2 now become things you can just throw around like like action figures and in the same way at the end of this game because I'm part of a greater whole, because there's no separation between me and these other things, because I'm, I've welcomed that and become, come inside it. Now I have power. Now I am able to just crush the walls and blast through things. I found that very moving. I, 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 I agree with all of that, but I think the game is trying to say more. And and for the record, I am generally not a fan of things like Inception, where did the top fall down? Like if the answers aren't in the work, I, I feel like you've messed up a little bit. Mm. And maybe you haven't watched Inception a million times and maybe the answers are in there if you study when Leonardo DiCaprio's ring is on and when it's off. Um, but I, I feel like in this game, you know, one of my questions are why did the siren or the ring girl if maybe it's different or whatever, why did it turn on you? Why did humans start helping the blob all of a sudden? And I don't think they were helping it. I I felt like they were almost inspired by it. Like, see, I think they were trying to trap it. Well, maybe, maybe, I mean, there's, it's, I found it so beautiful. That part where you toss the thing up to the guy and he catches it and then turns it on for you. Like they are captivated by this thing. They're trying to see what it's going to do. I, I, I've never seen anything like that in a video game. That, that's, that See, lo- I think they were trying to recapture it Perhaps. and then you because they drop you into that water pit and then uh when you you escape I I would argue you don't actually escape because you've seen the scale the size of what the blob is right like inside the room he's the size of what five people standing on shoulder to shoulder sure. and and then he rolls down this hill and these what appear to be fully formed pine trees are the same size as the blob and when you're rolling around in the facility where they're filming people or you know have like the experiment set up there's a diorama of that hill Hmm. 
and you land on this beach in a spotlight or in some light. I don't think that's a sunrise. I don't think that you have escaped the facility. I think it's, uh, you know, Trachtenberg esque, <laughs> um, where there's no escape. I don't think they necessarily wanted you to get there. I think that they were trying to trap this blob thing in the water, and then you you rip off these panels. But I also don't think that the boy wanted to become one with the blob, like the way the animations work. I don't think the boy was like, you know plugging his nose and pencil diving into the blob. He was pulling the things off, maybe trying to free the blob, which I would argue the blob was what was maybe controlling all of the zombies that you didn't see directly being mind controlled. Like how are all these zombies moving around? I think the blob was like the, the sentient. Yeah. yeah. Like the overmind kind of doing things and the boys trying to rip those things off to maybe free his parents or, you know, free whomever. And then, but then the blob selfishly, like yoinks the boy in. Like when the boy gets yoinked into the blob, he's not like thumbs up smiling at the camera. It's like a, oh crap, gets sucked into this thing. Right. So I don't think, I don't think you, the blob is your friend. Perhaps not. But, but how great is it that we can have this discussion about it? A great discussion is fantastic, but it doesn't mean the thing that you're discussing is great. I don't know. I, I think that providing that kind of experience that makes you think, and evokes emotion like there's you're talking about a game conveying to you in animation that this boy was terrified of this blob right he doesn't I love say anything there's no right text you know he, you felt it because of the animation you feel this crazy yearning from this blob as it walks out because there's arms reaching and hoping and groping it like i think this thing is an incredible accomplishment because of how it makes you feel, not because of the tale it's telling. I so I agree with all of that. I think the moment to moment in level that I played with headphones on, the atmosphere, the sound is incredible. Um, the puzzles are incredible. The emotions it conveys as you are playing it are incredible. I think the way the game ends and the way it wraps up, and I would almost prefer it if it wasn't trying to tell you a story, but I would wager that it is and that it thinks it's smarter than it is. And in doing so, they were kind of like, <laughs> they're going to be discussing this forever. And I'm just like, it's that part is dumb. But everything else, I totally agree with you. The emotions you feel in those moments as you're trying to figure out this puzzle and the fear you have when these freaking dogs are chasing you around and the way that you can tell that this little boy is afraid without him saying anything or, you know, that he has this pull to try to do this thing is incredible. Absolutely incredible. I almost just wish that the game had a more portal type ending uh, or, you know, it's just like you're being experimented on. Like, I don't think it needs to be this, this bigger thing, but I, I feel like that that isn't a problem to you in any way, shape and form because the, the, emotion you felt while playing it trumps and supersedes all of that well i it's weird to me that you sort of you know derive a i don't know a, a sense of um that they're trying to like hoodwink you or pull pull one over like the de developers think that they're so smart i that is that seems odd to me but i, I it's not so much that i ignore any kind of I, I just don't think the game cares about telling you a story i don't think it's it game the game cares about giving you those kinds of portal-esque answers because it's not it's more about mood it's more about feeling it's more about 
the sense of of escape and freedom inside something that is not free like it it's just supposed to kind of conjure that stuff inside you rather than make you realize this moral truth or something you know it's not it's not there's no plot that is supposed to be revelatory it's more of a in my sense of the game is it's more of a experience that you go through because you're participating that is supposed to land on you however it lands on you i i wish that you were right <laughs> i i i wish that that was my takeaway i think that they want you to i think that that was all in service of this larger plot my favorite that i read because i did spend time reading i'm like this these are my thoughts is this real is this right why do i hate this game um i Love the gameplay, hate the story. Um, my favorite reading of it, though, is that it's actually all an allegory for Marxism and consumerism, and you're a boy in a red shirt, and the whole thing is against the proletariat and these fat cat pigs, and you know, cool just mind controlling people. Like, you can do that. It's a well, but see, so I tweeted this out. Let me get my exact because uh, ambiguity. Oh, I can't. To me, Christian, it. it's like a song rather than a book. It's like you ask, you know, um, I don't know, whoever, uh, David Bowie, what's that song about? And he goes, what's it about to you? It doesn't matter what it's about to me. I wrote it and I had something in my head, but it's about evoking something in you. And when you ask, you know, uh, a screenwriter or a novelist, what's your story about? Well, it's about, you know, Alice who goes to the store and gets it. It's like, it's doing different things like this. I think a song is intentionally about what you make it about. It's about evoking something in you. And I feel like this game is, is more doing that than it is doing the other thing. I, I think it could have been that. I don't think it is. I think it, I think it could have been, but I think the the back third of the game needed to be different. I uh, I think how it concluded needed to be different um, to to be just that. I mean, to me, it's kind of like this is what I tweeted: X. What's your favorite color? Y. It's green. X. But I know it's blue. What does that mean? What don't we know? There are so many theories. Oh my god, that's the smartest writing I've ever read. No, it's not. It's just. It's just vague for vague's sake. And so, I mean, I think we are just on, <laughs> we are just looking at this game differently. I wholeheartedly recommend playing this game. I think it is worth every penny of the $20 I played for it. The puzzles are incredible. Um, the atmosphere is incredible. The intensity is incredible. I just think the back third or fifth of the game um I am almost certain this will not be a top five game of the year for me because of, and maybe it is like a song, but the way it made me feel was like, that sucked. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm going to let that be the last word (laughs) on this. Um, I would love for people to, you know, send us feedback if they've played through inside, you know, which camp do you side with? Did you need more from it? Or did it, uh, you know, did it give you enough? Um, dlcfeedback at gmail.com but it's been awesome talking uh, in spoilers about this game uh, and just the fact that it is a game that can be spoiled and has so much uh, to talk about I think is is pretty cool talk to you guys next week <laughs>